You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, mom. Anything's possible. Yeah. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This is the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it like when Tatum play a Jalen on the breakaway, a Kyrie when he make a trade, and nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth that after you play it, you gotta repeat. So in depth they might do an hour about the D League. So in depth you probably should pay him, but it's a freebie. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. And well wishes go to Gordon. Listen after every game is very important, Millie. everyone and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast with the Rain and Jays. Today it's me, your boy Jay King from The Athletic, here with Sam Jam Packer the Great, formerly of WEEI. He is dabbing right now in, you know it. in my hotel room in Philadelphia where we are recording this wonderful podcast. We're going to break down game three. One of the craziest endings, certainly the only ending I've ever seen with premature confetti. We got some confetti tonight, folks, and we're going to be revealing the winners of the great confetti contest later in the podcast. But uh, you best believe I was on my hands and knees after the game collecting that confetti because that was (laughs) one of the more ridiculous endings that I've ever seen in a playoff basketball. There was so much to it, and we'll talk about it all, and we'll talk about the fact that Celtics are now up 3-0. That the Celtics, without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, are now one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Looks like an inevitable matchup with LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Although you're not ready to put the Sixers to bed yet. I don't think the Sixers will win the series, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be a sweep. The Sixers are quite talented. They gave away Game 3. They had many chances to win Game 3. They gave it away. J.J. Redick threw a terrible pass for a turnover. Uh, the turnover where Al Horford stole the ball at the end of the game. Uh, that was an ugly basketball game in Game 3. I thought the Sixers definitely had a chance to win because neither team were playing that great. And um, So I'm not ready to announce that there's going to be a sweep. I think the Celtics are obviously going to win the series because they're up 3-0. But a real ugly basketball game in Game 3. And just it showed that the Celtics' experience won out in the, Celt- or the Sixers' How much experience do the Celtics have? They have Al Horford. They have that's that Al, literally it. Al Horford's pretty uh pretty key for them, making very big plays down the stretch. I don't know. It you make a very good point in the fact that the Celtics are also a very young team, but in terms of execution and poise down the stretch, it felt like the Sixers were scared of the moment moment, and the Celtics were just prepared for any situation. I okay, so I'm kind of with you to the fact that. When the Celtics dialed up a play and when they were interrupted mid-possession and called a timeout, they got layups. Like Brad Very Steven- big layups, though. Brad uh, Stevens manufactured great plays. The players executed those perfectly. Marcus Morris, I think, probably deserves more credit for the pass he made than he's getting. Jason Tatum, same thing on the Jalen Brown bucket in regulation. I didn't feel like the Celtics 
like rose to the moment in game. No, they were just able to capitalize on 76ers mistakes. They weren't like making amazing plays. They missed a lot of open like open threes or just good opportunities late. It really felt like the Sixers choked away the game. Like they had a chance to win in so many different occasions and just didn't do anything. A lot of Embiid posts up and if Marco Bellinelli doesn't make that shot, they don't make overtime, but they really just gave the game away because they had opportunities late and just couldn't do anything with it. That, to me, has been the story of the series, is that when when it matters, Horford has gotten the best of the Embiid matchup. Games one and two, he ruined him with offense. And then game three, Embiid couldn't even get a shot up sometimes in the post. Like, Horford was just rejecting his nonsense which I didn't expect. I didn't expect that matchup to go so thoroughly to the Celtics when they've they've matched up against each other. Obviously, Embiid has had great moments in this series. Obviously, you know, game one, what do you have, like 31-12 and 12 or whatever it was. He's had some moments. He dunked on Baines. He dunked Horford into oblivion. Like, he's had some really impressive moments. But when it's mattered the most, and when the Celtics go small, they have exposed to an extent Joel Embiid and I didn't expect that to the extent I knew Al Horford was going to be a tough matchup for them because he always is for the bigger centers but they can't even play Embiid on him anymore they've switched him off they were they're going to Ilyasova on Horford even though that's can be tougher in the to guard him in the post they just decided we cannot have Embiid guard Al Horford they they even Subbed him out sometimes for defense. They subbed Embiid at, like out in overtime, which is a wild play. But you're right, Embiid cannot guard Horford out in the perimeter. We saw um, the Celtics getting to the rim pretty much easily, especially Tatum late. And you're right, Embiid, Horford has been better than Embiid for the entire series. And Embiid, every single time Embiid does an isolation play, I think of it as a win for the Celtics because there's a likelihood that he's going to make the shot, but it's like about 40%. And then he's just battling hard against whether it be Aaron Baines, who has done a phenomenal job in the series and playing defense, or against Horford, who you mentioned before have the blocks, but that's not the best offense for the Sixers. And I think that's the biggest problem with Ben Simmons being, um, for lack of a better phrase, an enormous coward. Uh, um, I figure that phrase might be coming. <laughs> but it's like it's said in jest, but he's his inability to create offense has made it incredibly difficult for the Sixers. The Celtics have the best defensive team in the league, and they don't have anyone on their team, the Sixers, who can create their own shot or can create their own offense. They have to rely on a lot of movement from Bellinelli and a lot of movement from J.J. Redick just to get a maybe an open look, a decent look. Redick's been pretty good at this series of knocking down shots, but other than that, their entire offense is Embiid post-ups, and that's, like I just mentioned, is not efficient for them and it doesn't create good uh good shots for them and it's just Embiid wasting a lot of energy against Aaron Baines so I think for as much excitement as there was like related to the Sixers coming into this series they just don't have the weapons at this point to kind of just generate offense and especially going against the Celtics they do have the best defense in the league and they're they're very good at guarding the three-point line and they I thought we have to give Shane Larkin a lot of credit right now because I thought Shane Larkin did an excellent job chasing around their shooters. We saw uh, uh, Jason Tatum a lot last night on the point guard of the 76ers because they were using their smaller players to chase around the shooters of the 76ers, and I thought they did a very good job of, one, single covering Embiid and then staying the, uh, 
the rest on the shooters. And this, the Sixers just had a real tough time creating any open looks against the Celtics. Yeah, I, I think that to me has been the one of the the bigger keys to this series is that the Celtics defense has held up. And, I mean, you look at the stats. Ben Simmons is plus minus against the Celtics. Now minus 92 over seven games, including the regular season. And this was the best game of the series for him. Like, he was actually a little bit, like, better tonight or the last night being aggressive, like, taking his shot, taking his shot in the paint. But even then, the Celtics have an answer for him. And they really sag off of him and are sticking on and not helping whatsoever and sticking on people like Redick and Bellinelli. And, and there's just and they're smart with their switches. They switch at different times. They like, fucked up a couple times when the Sixers started slipping screens. And they, uh, I thought Redick did a very good job of slipping screens. And there's a few miscommunications. But and the the Sixers really had opportunities to take over that game. But then they ended up just coughing it up and just with dumb turnovers late. But I thought the Sixers made an interesting adjustment when they started to slip and they forced the, the Celtics to make switches before the actual pick was set. But even then, they didn't really capitalize. Robert Covington had a great game two, was not great in game three. Uh, I would Did say not le- even exist in game three. Less than not great. He seemed, and I'll, I'll say this, it was a nervous game. Like, everyone seemed to understand the weight of game three. It wasn't, there wasn't much free-flowing nature to it. It was, a, it was an ugly basketball game, if yeah, we're going to be very and, honest. And, it, like, Jason Tatum missed three free throws. I can't remember him ever doing that. I think they were all in a row. It won the crowd some Wendy's, though, so they were happy about that. They, they were pleased about that. And then what's weird in Philadelphia, Philadelphia's a ruthless sports town, by the way, but while Ben Simmons has the ball, they're almost like, imploring him to do more. They were nervous, too. They could sense his cowardice from the stands, and they were like... Jesus. They were... No, I'm, I'm, I'm being 100% honest right now. Every time he had a shot in open space and, like, he didn't take it, there was, like, kind of a murmur in the crowd. And then when he did make shots, his little fade arounds, like, there was an extra excitement. But it's true. They, are like, could sense the, the nervousness of the game. And they had their moments, but I was otherwise like pretty underwhelmed by the Philadelphia crowd. And I think that there's a credit to the, the the Celtics, especially Jason Tatum in the first quarter, who did a lot to take them out of the game. Jason Tatum has stepped up his game in the past, starting from Game Seven of the Buck series through these uh, three games of the 76 series. He's been amazing. Like he shows some poise and some just attacking at a level um, that is has not been. We saw it earlier in the year, but. He, like for him to be 20 and kind of coming back and responding to this level of pressure like that has been very impressive so far. Yeah, he's he's been unbelievable and they've needed him to be unbelievable because they're not going to score too many points otherwise. Like they need him to be great, they need Horford to be great, they need Rozier to be great. They need a lot of these guys to be great given the way the roster is right now. And Tatum has just been he carried them through the first half. Horford didn't have what he and had. Then like he carried them through the fourth shot. quarter in overtime. His uh, and his late drive, I think they were down four with yeah, a pump MB fake on Embiid. On him, yeah, yeah, that was the he learned from Thon Maker. He was oh, like, yeah. he's like, oh yeah, I remember this one from Thon. Let, let me give the up fake. Let me watch him go, and then I'll finish. Well, he learned from game two because that's what like half of Embiid's fouls were for for pump fakes, and that's huge for them in that moment because. That whole entire possession was him dribbling around at the top of the key, and the Celtics have to have confidence in him and go to him that moment. 
is huge when they're down four. That's the crazy thing about the Celtics is because they find themselves in that position. And me just sitting there, I guess, as a Celtics fan, you have confidence in their ability to execute. They're not going to get nervous. And I think that's something that Brad Stevens and Tatum and Horford mentioned is that, like, this, that is the Celtics team. Like, of course they're going to give up a shot to Bellinelli, but they're the, <laughs> they're the team that's going to fight back in overtime and just, like, that's not going to mean anything to them. And just their willi- like, willingness to play, and they show a lot of great execution down the stretch of just forgetting the last play and um, just trusting their guys. And it worked for them in overtime. Like, I, I think most Celtics fans said, one, the confetti is hilarious. Like, this is a hilarious the moment. The confetti was hilarious. It was a delay for seven minutes, and there was constantly confetti streaming. Like, that was a great moment. But if you think about it, like, I think that was an advantage for the, the Celtics. I just think they're the more mentally tough team. It felt like the 76ers are, this is their first time in the playoffs, and they're still adjusting to what best to do. They're, like, I know we, the Celtics are this technically... This is the Celtics' first time in the playoffs. They have Brad Stevens, though. Like, I don't know. It feels like they've been in so many moments this year where it's just, they've had to be mentally tough, had to come back from, what, 26 down against the Rockets? Like, there's kind of a, like, inspiring belief. It's a very much a cliche thing that Brad talks about, but... With the Celtics team of just like not focusing on the past possession, focusing on what you need to do in the moment, they feel mentally tougher than any other team that they come up against. Ben Simmons looked shook. Embiid didn't, was not the most confident in the moment. And then around that, you have to rely on Dario Saric or Robert Covington or TJ McConnell. The Celtics, I mean, the Sixers are just not that deep. Okay, I'm going to pause you for a second. Pause away. I'm going to pause you for a second. I think that's the first time I've ever paused someone. I kind of <laughs> like that. I kind of like that move. I'm paused. I'm paused. Um, if the Celtics had lost, if they hadn't come back from four in the final minute of overtime, you could say a lot of the same things about the Celtics. Losing composure. during the, Not necessarily composure, but during the third quarter especially, they went scoreless for 441 between the third and fourth quarters, and a lot of those were good looks. Aaron Baines was missing bunnies. Like they missed a couple. They were very lucky that the 76ers looks. also scored only like two or three points in that yeah. session. It was a very ugly and stretch then, of basketball. And then the beginning of the second half, and then you go you go to the last play of regulation. They just lost Bellinelli. Rozier fell to the ground. You th- you think about the Tatum free throws. You think of, there were a lot of plays where you could have said that the same thing type of things about the Celtics. And I, I know they executed better, and I know they didn't throw the ball to the wrong team at bad times. But there were also a lot of moments when I, I, it just felt like everyone in that building knew the importance of that game. And maybe, maybe I'm projecting because of what the play was like, but if there was just a nervous feel in that arena, it was like, like the crowd was nuts at first. They were heckling the Celtics. They were going wild. And then Tatum kind of shut them up. And then from there, it was like everybody was just kind of a little on edge the rest of the way. And, like, I think that's seeped into Covington. Covington was like, I don't even know if he wanted the ball by the end of the game. There was, it just seemed But that's like, the thing for the Sixers. He's, like, a very key player for them. He has to be one of their final five and play big. But you're right. I, that's why I'm not, like, immediately ready to count the Sixers out because it was a close game that I frankly think the Sixers gave away – the Celtics really struggled to score points. Like, Mook wasn't that great. Tito eventually had a, a pretty good game, but 
It wasn't the best performance. They had an extra five minutes of overtime and still were under whatever the Las Vegas underline. Like, it was not a very pretty basketball game. And so you would imagine the Sixers are going to, I mean, show up somewhat in game four for some sort of pride purposes, and the Celtics are going to be up 3-0. So you expect them to win the series. But I thought it was a lot closer than, um, I guess, the series would indicate. The Sixers had a great chance of winning game two and a great chance of winning game one. The Sixers are clearly a talented team. It's just down the stretch, they really seem to make just dumb decisions. Or dumb. Like the J, like the JJ Redick turnover was atrocious. Yeah, that that was a weird one because I, I don't even I, I watched that play a bunch of times. I still I don't, don't really understand know what, what his decision it was. Like Embiid was. and Simmons crashed into each other, and I don't I don't even know which one he was trying to throw to. Like, was he trying to throw to Embiid popping out? Was he thinking that Ben Simmons was going to stay there? I literally have no idea what JJ Redick was doing and what those that whole team was trying to execute in that moment, which that was that was a very weird play. They and then they relied on Embiid post-ups. And I get it because Embiid's their guy or one of the But they have to have more guys. offense than other them because that's not efficient. Like especially if they if the Celtics are not going to double. And a lot of credit goes to Aaron Baines in the series for play, being able to play uh, Embiid one-on-one and force him into difficult shots. I think when Horford is in a game, the Celtics tried a little bit of doubling and it didn't really work. They tried to double early as soon as Embiid caught the ball in the post. And Embiid actually did a pretty good job. It was it was interesting to see the matchups of when Brad Stevens used Aaron Baines against Embiid and then when the times the Celtics went small. Because when the Celtics went small, you mentioned earlier, they really drew Embiid out of the post or forced, and it forced Embiid to like not guard Horford. And Horford, actually, he got... He didn't really do anything with Ilya Sova, so much so that he had Ilya Sova uh, with eight seconds left and Brad call, uh, called the timeout. I didn't think he was great against uh, Ilya Sova, but it, I don't know what the Celt- the. I think the Sixers are just a very good matchup for the Celtics because when the Sixers go small, if that's their wrinkle, I think the Celtics can handle that very quick, like very easily because Horford, he's so dynamic at the five position that like any advantage of going small is kind of negated by him being able to do some what he does on the perimeter. One thing that stood out is obviously Markel Fultz not playing at all. And I, I think it's interesting because Brett the Brown, exact skill set that they need. But also Brett Brown has talked about how these playoffs like he told his players these playoffs will teach you about yourselves and they'll they'll force you to adapt and learn and he's told them like we're going to benefit so much from this experience one way or another and then he has the number one pick sitting on the bench the entire time and I get it he's trying to win and he doesn't think Markel Fultz helps them win but like he's a dynamic playmaker and I feel like you have to be able to steal some minutes for him at some point Especially when TJ McConnell comes in, is not he had a great TJ McConnell had a great game two, and I thought he was pretty decent in game three. But they need some sort of playmaker from that level, someone they can run pick and roll with, a ball handler who can create his own shot. It did feel like the perfect Markel Fultz moment, and for to not use him like whatsoever is like why for his own development, it feels like it would be useful for the team, especially because Ben Simmons can't create anything. 
at all. And so you're right. I, I'm kind of surprised they haven't used him whatsoever. I understand like you're doing your best to win the basketball game. You don't want to experiment yeah, with that. And, but I actually think he's like could contribute because you're relying on TJ McConnell, who as gritty as he is, as to much be hustle fair, as McConnell he, almost won them game two. He did, but he wasn't. He wasn't McConnell that great in had game like three. A Marcus Smart type of winning play game in game two, where he he stole a pass in the full court right under the hoop for a bucket. He somehow came down with an offensive rebound. I think he found Covington for a three. Yeah. Like he was making winning play after winning. That's the play. problem with the 76ers roster, though, is that. They, they're not very deep. They have to rely on 20 minutes from Ilya Sova or 20 minutes from Bellinelli. Bellinelli had a crazy shot. He was better on offense, but he's still defensively atrocious. He can't guard anyone. You think Markel Fultz would ha- I don't know. I don't, I, I, it's easy to assess from not seeing him play whatsoever. Yeah, but we, like, we haven't seen much of Markel Fultz. But given his hype, like you would think the number one pick could give you something more than TJ McConnell. And, but I just think that's a, like a roster flaw with the 76ers is that they don't have a lot of depth and they're relying on two guys who are just a, completely available on the buyout market. There's a reason they're available. One, they're playing on shitty teams, but there's a reason they're playing on shitty teams and we're available because they're just they're not two-way players in a way you think Markel Fultz could be just because he, he's so young. But I don't know. The Jason Tatum trade is looking pretty good right now. That's all I'm trying to say. The Jason Tatum <laughs> trade is looking pretty good. Jason Tatum... That was, I thought game three might have been his most impressive game with the Celtics. I'm not ready to go that far. He was pretty great. I think he was just the only one who stood out in an otherwise shitty game. I thought he's looked better, but he had some very big moments, so I agree with you there. He, so the crowd is crazy. It's a nutty environment. It's 2-0. Philadelphia is desperate. He busts their ass in the first quarter. Like, nine points, did everything, comes back in the second quarter, gets in foul trouble. Picks up a third foul, sits the last six minutes or whatever it was of the second quarter. Gets out of rhythm, theoretically. Comes back and makes every big play. And He hits a shot when they were down four over Embiid. He hit the other shot where Simmons was guarding him and, like, Kind of the mid-range kind pull of up. swiped down, and he barely avoided the swipe and hit a mid-range pull-up. It seemed like every time they needed a bucket, Tatum was there. And they were running so much through Tatum. And they were running so much through Tatum against a super talented team on the road in a playoff game that the other team had to win. So that's why, to me, it was the most impressive game he's had because of all the factors going into that. And I, I just think... There's no one on Philadelphia's roster that can guard him. Covington hasn't been able to really stay in front of him. Dario can't stay in front of him whatsoever. Dario can't. Embiid switched out. That didn't work. It's like that's why the matchup for the Celtics are really favorable in the series because the 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 Seventy Sixers just don't have they don't have a lot of wing defenders. They don't have wing defenders. They don't have like any guard defenders either. They they it's really. Covington is supposed to be like their their lockdown guy, but there's been multiple times in this series where Tatum has blown right by him. And I don't know what the 76ers are supposed to do if like Covington's your go-to perimeter defender and they just had no answer. Yeah, they they I think against the Celtics at least they need an upgrade of athleticism. Like Terry Rozier is too fast for those guys. 
Jason I think that's Tatum. why we saw the Celtics or Stevens go to like a lot of Shane Larkin minutes, a lot yeah. of three guards because just to play faster. And I want to say it again. I thought Shane Larkin was brilliant in the game, just in terms of just running after JJ Redick. Like that's the exact guy you want on JJ Redick to have, like just to give him a lot of just chaos. And I thought he played a lot of a lot more minutes than I would have thought. But I thought he was he was key in that game just because of his kind of effort on defense. We should talk about Brad Stevens's ATOs, and the first one, Marcus Morris is getting ready to pull up. Marcus Morris is lining up. He was so ready the, to shoot the mid-range Mook ISO, and I think Brad on Embiid, like on like the bigger defender, like a guy you you don't think it's a favorable matchup for him. So Brad, Brad probably looked at it and was like, probably thought what everyone else in the arena thought. That's going up, and. Said, you know what? Time out. Time out. Let's think about this again. And Brad knew they were going to switch. They switched, and it's a play they've run a million times. They find Jalen Brown over the top, bucket. Then they go into overtime, almost identical situation. Brad lets them go. Well, they got two timeouts in that, in that, which I thought was key, because Brad was able to see what they were doing the first time where they couldn't get it in yeah, and then it, able to it adjust. It was key. And I think it was also key that Philadelphia moved Embiid off Marcus Morris. He told me he told me today, he's like, I couldn't see when he was guarding <laughs> me. He's like, I couldn't even see. And so he, he, he thought it, he was very excited that Joel Embiid switched off. Um and then, again, the 76ers switched, and the Celtics vacated the area underneath the hoop, and Marcus Morris threw a delicate pass over the top, and Al Horford went to the other side of the room and finished. It was, you hardly ever see a coach dial up one layup in an ATO in a situation like that, never mind two. And the fact that they were very similar plays of like clearing out and getting that layup, you think the 76ers would have a kind of a counter to that, but that was as easy, like, watching the replay, that was very easy for Al Horford. Yeah, Al Horford just had to go to the other side. And Who didn't he have almost the, missed that layup. Though. He almost missed it, and he was, like, laughing about it a little bit. He didn't <laughs> have the best game. Very not, like, he was not Until the fourth quarter and overtime. Until the fourth quarter, and even then, he got more aggressive, but he wasn't making the shots um, that you're kind of used to seeing him making. He missed some easy ones against Ilyasova, but he only had like what three field goal attempts in the first half. I thought the Sixers were doing a very good job of like uh, focusing their attention on him and trying to make someone else make shots. But yeah, they, they they switched up the matchups. Like I said, no more Embiid on him. They just totally went away from that and tried to stay stay close to him, not not get separated. Because when Al Horford gets a closeout, Al Horford is lethal. Like he uses your body momentum against you, and he's incredible at that. He's one of the best in the league, especially for a big guy. At driving closeouts, so if you if you don't give him that separation, it's a lot tougher for him to create. And then, but fourth quarter overtime, he was great. the The defense on Embiid, again, that's not something I anticipated coming into this season, this series. I didn't think he was strong enough. I thought Embiid could just overpower him on the block. It wasn't even a strength thing. It was just like a patience thing. It's like you're gonna body me, body me, body me, and then you're gonna shoot. And he got two. Solid, like, fuck you blocks over Embiid that it is, don't make sense because Embiid's taller than him and should be able to jump higher than him. And both of those blocks were just like, I don't understand how you time that perfectly to do that. 
Yeah, and this series has been a good reminder that even though the Celtics lost Kyrie late in this season, they have the best defense in the league. Defense. No, Kyrie's not a plus defender, so like that didn't hurt their defense. And they still have all the switchability. They still have all the tough guys that they did. They still have a number of guys who can guard several different positions. They have, I mean, how many guys could credibly guard Ben Simmons? Jalen, Tatum. Marcus Morris, who did a bunch of it. Al Al Horford, Horford, Semi Ojale. Aaron Baines can do his moments on him. And so it's like. You have so many options for these. And then those same guys can switch out, out onto guards when they need to. And that's that's what's really important to their defense is that they they're not getting beat off like the perimeter by kind of elite guards. Well, that's one of the things is the Sixers don't have like anyone who really scares you uh, from the guard thing. Neither did the, this, uh, the Bucks really. Eric Bledsoe had his moments, especially in Game 7, um, of just driving past them, but they haven't really played anyone who's just an elite guard from that perspective, and that plays right in the hands of the Celtics, who I think people have very much forgotten. This is the team's, the league's best defense, and that matters for something in the playoffs. Like they are going to make it extremely difficult for any other team to score points, and their efficiency on offense has gone up. At the same time, it's generally a recipe for success. Yes, they are. They are getting buckets, except in Game Three. <laughs> game three was game three was ugly. Uh, it was still impressive. Like they shot ten for thirty eight from the three point arc. They were zero for seven in the fourth quarter in overtime from the three point arc. And to still win that game, that's that's defense, man. That that is that is defense, and that is. Brad ATO magic. Well, you're talking about the end of the third quarter, right? I think it was like 76 around 78 or where they missed eight different opportunities in a row. And really, uh, we were, I was talking to B-Rob and Tom Westerholm because we were up in the, the nosebleeds up there, but it was like, man, they're missing opportunities right here. And then it was like, no, we're talking about both teams. Like, both teams have a huge opportunity because the Southerners were missing a bunch of shots, but the 76ers did not counter and did not like go on a run right there. And that's a lot of uh, credit to the Celtics defense, who, despite their struggles, made it extremely difficult for the 76ers to score points. And that's why they're still in the game and why they could just be there when J.J. Redick throws the ball away. Or Embiid has to get more shit for just not coming to the basketball in that Horford turnover. I don't blame him on that one, really. What are you talking about? He didn't come to the... Your one job when you're going, getting the inbound pass is catching the ball. And he just stopped, and Al Horford didn't. Like, you have to come to the basketball. I don't care. You're Joel Embiid. You can get position on it, Horford after that. You don't have to, like, establish it at the three-point line. Come get the basketball. I thought that was more on the passer than anything else. Embiid was going to the ball. Horford just beat him there. Embiid was going to the ball, but he stopped... I'm not. I'm not gonna hate on Joel for that one. There. Uh, also, <laughs> Joel's reactions after his best dunks are just amazing. <laughs> when he was strutting around, and I think he pointed at Aaron Baines after the after dunk. He murdered Aaron Baines. Yeah, that that was unreal. But it was it was really important for the Celtics to weather that, and I thought they did a good job. Like Baines is hilarious because he just doesn't care. He literally he could get dunked on a million times, and the a million first time, 
he'd still be there doing the same thing. Like it, it's he doesn't the, get phased by anything. It's a, such a kaizen process over results. Like the process is contesting. It doesn't matter if you get dunked on or not. You're going to make that as difficult as possible. And Brad was talking that today about practices. Like everyone focuses on the time he gets dunked on, but no one talks about the a thousand and one times that he contests that shot and makes it very difficult. And that's Aaron Baines is great. At, like he doesn't give a shit whatsoever. And you see, you see some NBA players make that business decision of like I'm, I'm not going up for that. But never Baines. He, he like he Baines has that. never made a business decision. No, not once. Not one single time all year long has Baines made a business decision. He is going to try to contest your dunk no matter how powerfully you are coming at his neck. <laughs> and that's just how it goes. And sometimes Joel Embiid will dunk on you and take off his mask and point at you and strut around. And other times you'll help hold Joel Embiid to 10 for 26 shooting and 22 points. Which was really an inefficient night for him. He hasn't been great the entire series. And why, I don't know, if you're the Sixers, what do you do in game four? Because they did, I thought... maker. maker The maker curveball. You got to do something. I thought they played like a decent game in game three and they just threw it away. So I don't know exactly what adjustments they make. You hope Bellinelli and Redick and Covington make more shots, but I don't know, like, one, they just, it feels like they don't have an... They still have to play Marco Bellinelli. He's bad at defense. Like there's, I don't know what the exact adjustment is. And as someone who's very gung ho to declare the Bucks dead after two games in the last series, I don't want to declare like the 76ers are dead. But like I don't want to celebrate that fact yet, just because it feels like they are a talented team. But I don't know what the adjustment is for them. Just, just hope that Embiid makes. More. Hope Simmons stops being a coward and takes more <laughs> shots. Like he was a little bit better and he like took some fadeaways, but I don't know where they create offense from. If they're going to sag off uh, Simmons that much and just let Embiid work in the post, it doesn't seem like there's a, a, a solution for them to just create offense. And that's ultimately why they're screwed uh, for the season. 76ers are dead. All right, lock it in. <laughs> We've been talked into it. <laughs> 76ers are dead. Packard has ruled them out, which means they are going to come crawling Which means back we're going to a Game 7, baby. Back, which means the Prunster is going to call on <laughs> Thon Maker, and there will be a Game 7. So watch out. Watch out. Philadelphia, come back. Set in stone now. You ready to give away some confetti? Confe- confetti? Confetti. <laughs> confetti? Yeah, let's give away some confetti, man. All right, so in Game 3, as everyone knows... Uh, the 76ers launched some confetti after they thought they won the game and the, the mainest man danger cart tweeted at me, um, go collect some of that confetti for a souvenir. And so I did, uh, right in front of Adam Himmelsbach, who judged the shit out of me for it and said I was a lesser human being. And I felt that judgment and I was a lesser human being, but you know what? I asked the, the great fans of the Rain and Jays to leave some five-star reviews and I said, after I allocate my portion of confetti to Danger Cart, I'll give some out to the rest of the fans based on the quality of their reviews. Um, and so, me and Jay right now are going to determine who gets who's confetti worthy. This is this is big confetti. Confetti <laughs> um, from Ma Hungley, Raining Jays jump shots fadeaways. It's the best Celtics podcast day to day. That's just bleeding plagiarism of Millie. Yeah, not great, not great. However, true. Great line. Yeah, it's a good line, Great but line. we have some better ones. So, yeah, I'm looking for more originality here. All right, this is from Kyle Copernicus. 
These guys are my basketball tutors. I've been a Celtics fan forever, but have learned so much more about the intricacies of basketball since I started listening to the show. Very informative and entertaining. Has taken my Celtics fandom to the next level. A noble podcast and begins even the smallest fan, simply cromulent. Now that's a Simpsons reference that even you, Jay King, understand. I, I knew the Simpsons reference. Kyle Copernicus is, uh, I think he's getting some confetti. Kyle, if you... Kyle Copernicus, first of all, he just made me seem smart. Yeah. And... We, we, we tutored him in the game. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm sad for him. That, that we had to teach him. That we his had to basketball teach him IQ was in such a low place that we were able to teach him anything. But that was that that swelled up my ego a little bit. So so Kyle, slide into my DMs and send me your address. I'll send you some confetti. <laughs> uh, this one from Jive John. When will I stop listening to this podcast? Never, never, Marge. I can't live the button-down life like you. I want it all: the terrifying lows, the dizzy and highs, the creamy middles. Sure, I might offend a few of the blue noses with my cocky stride and musky odors. Oh, I'll never be the darling of the so-called city fathers who cluck their tongues and stroke their beards and talk about what's to be done with this Homer Simpson. For going that in-depth with the Simpsons reference, no. you win my book. No. Jay King is shaking his head, but Jive John... No confetti. He needs to know his audience. He, he knows his audience. He knows us. I was going to be reading this. He knows his audience. Jive John, you slide into my DMs. I'll get you that confetti. Wow. Jay King doesn't have any confetti to distribute right now. Wow. So he has very little power. Wow. I've been walking around with confetti in the pocket of my jacket ever since the uh, end of game three. I'm staying with a Sixers fan right now. I tried to kind of unload it onto his countertop just to take a picture. He was very upset with me. But no for Jive John? You don't want Jive John to get confetti? Well, we'll move on. Uh, this is from... Sad. Gackman 99 great podcast. Jay, John, and Sam do a great job of breaking down the games with the right amount of humor. So far, above most Boston radio, that is silly. A must-listen for Celtics fans. Above most Boston yeah, radio? Yeah, it's kind of a generic review. Um, I, I like that he called me funny. I like that he called me funny. It wasn't just you, Jay. It was actually all of us collectively together. I, I just heard Jay, Jay was hysterical, is what I heard. Um... But yeah, just most Boston. What fucking Boston radio <laughs> show is better than us? I there's that was, that was a huge mistake. Huge mistake. He's left the door open. We'll we'll leave him under consideration, but he left the door open for another person. Yeah, you got to take his confetti. All right, this one's from J Red N H X W. That's hard to read. J Red J J Reddick. Started <laughs> looking for some confetti. I started listening because one. I found We Are Celtics Twitter, and two, Boston Sports Radio seems incapable of talking about the games at all, much and less in-depth. It turned out that this is the definitive oral history of the hospital Celtics and the Suck My Dick season. Listen, many exclamation points. That guy's getting some See, that was that was what I'm talking about. The other guy was like, yeah, it's better than most Boston Sports Radio. Then this guy was like, this is the definitive oral history yeah. of the Suck My Dick Celtics. <laughs> God bless him. This is from user McUserston. I love the show and listen daily. That said, I'm leaving this review because old confetti dropped by trash franchises before losing his good breakfast. See, that is, that, that's, yes, confetti. That's, that's a confetti that's boy confetti. right there. User McUserston slide in my he, DMs. He was honest and he talked about good breakfast. That's the thing. He was upfront about his confetti desires, which I appreciate. I, you're not just trying to use us. Yeah. They know what's going on. 
Uh, this is from phutch 12 Give me all your tears, your great confetti tears. Locked on seas is like waking up to a fresh brew of coffee and the smell of bacon in the morning. Also, Ben Simi Stinky. <laughs> <laughs> ben Simi Stinky. That, that made me laugh, man. That sounds like confetti. That, I gotta let you guys know that this confetti is not that impressive. It's just like some some scraps of paper. I'm gonna put it in a Ziploc bag and send it to you. You're not gonna. It's not gonna be great. I think. I think it is gonna be great. I think the people are gonna have for confetti. the looks of just like disrespect I got from Adam's Himmelsbach for scooping it up into my jacket. Like it, I had to go through a lot. So you guys are uh, earning earning your confetti here. And I, I think we got a, a few more here. Sixteen Neil R. Just the best Celtics podcast out there with great pregame and postgame discussions. We've never done a pregame discussion, but thank you, 16 Yor. Knowledgeable and appropriately silly. Only Celtics podcast Monday through Friday, and I definitely recommend giving it a shot as it is a highlight each day I see it pop up. Long-time listener to the show who wants some confetti. Now, that was kind of bland. He didn't really set himself apart. However, he was honest. Listener. He was honest. Long-time listener. And told us he wanted some confetti. 16 Neil R. Slide into those DMs. <laughs> How much confetti do you have, man? <laughs> I got enough. I got enough hopefully, for the people. You might be getting two or three scraps, but the people are going to get it. Yeah. This is from Jack Michael 17, the young meme lord. The Rainy Jays is a really good pod with really cool hosts, John, Jay, and Jam. I listen to them every day. They are the only Daily Celtics podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. See, I like that. That was, see, that that he separated himself because he, he quoted us. He knows our a, branding. In an ironic fashion. Yeah, no. And I like, I like that he used the sarcasm of our own shit to make fun of us at the same time as he was asking for confetti. He respects us. I yeah. think that's true. And he sent me a video of him live filling out the po- uh, the podcast review, so that's a an added touch. Yeah. Young Meme Lord. Plus, Jack, he's a legend. He, plus, he does a lot for Celtics Twitter. That's the thing. I had a very viral tweet for Celtics Twitter about Ben Simmons as a coward shirt, and I just felt bad because I've just been taking like memes from Celtics uh, Twitter the entire time. I don't create any memes, but like again, some of that sweet Twitter glory for it. So. Jack Michael, <laughs> as representing all of Celtic Shooter, you will get some confetti. I'm running out of confetti, but there's a, a lot of good um, reviews left. Um, let's, this is the last one from the IT department, Clover sign emoji, five times. I'm what they would call a day one since the beginning, before Locked On and the fancy intro song, which is dope. Simply the best Celtics pod on the internet. Sam Wham Bam Jam Packer knows why I'm really here, though. Go Celts. Beat Phila. Anyone who calls me Sam Bam Wham Jam is getting that confetti. And he's been a day one before even I enjoy, when it was just you and John on that weekly. My only qualm. I got qualms. <laughs> you got one qualm. You've got qualm. I have a singular qualm. He said Phila. Well, it, it's I, the hashtag. I know what the hashtag he's is. He's just copying the Celtics. I know what the hashtag is. The Celtics also hashtag sees us rise. <laughs> sees us rise. It's not his fault, though. He's following the direction from the team. No, th- we we encourage free thinking here. All we right. are free thinkers. Screw you, ID department. You get no confetti. <laughs> no, no. G- give that man confetti. 
He he's been following since before the lockdown Celtics. He's been day one. But become a free thinker, goddammit. it! <laughs> no more beat Philip. J. Kanye West King appreciates free thinking. All right, and if if Just I've told you to me. slide into my DMs, slide into my DMs, give me your address. I'll send that confetti. If you can dupe me into thinking that you deserve the confetti and slide into my DMs, go for it. I'll send as much confetti as I have in my pocket to the people. Um, but the first goes to Danger Card for giving me the idea. Uh, and the rest of you guys, you guys earned it with your reviews. We very much appreciate it because we are the only Daily Celtics podcast Monday through Friday. Also the greatest Celtics podcast ever. And if you don't subscribe to us already, you're stupid. You're stupid. <laughs> you're stupid. But if you don't, search for Lock On Celtics wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else. You know what to do. Subscribe to us. Give us a five-star rating. We won't have any more confetti left because we are handing it out to everyone who gave us five-star reviews and some of those were glorious. But God bless you all. It's all good. Luck. <laughs> <laughs>